0: In my later elementary school years, I vividly remember my parents making a significant move in the life of our family. We had been living on a farm in Stainer, up north a few hours. We had a lot of pigs, we had some beef cattle, and we did crop farming with my grandma and grandpa Baker who lived in the adjoining farm right next door. I think we had a couple hundred acres uh, that we were farming there. But my parents were sensing a call to a new farming opportunity and my parents put out something called a fleece. I remember them using that terminology, putting out a fleece, to be sure that they understood what God was calling them to. Basically, they were looking for a confirmation or a, or a sign from God that they should move forward. And growing up in the church, uh, they would have uh, heard of Gideon's story, and, and so that would have been familiar uh, wording for them. I, I remember them telling us as kids that we were going to move, and that they were confident that God was calling them to this new opportunity. They explained to us that they had put out a fleece and it had been confirmed to them. And as I prepared for this message, um, that time of my life was brought back. I I couldn't remember all the details, uh, so I had to chat with my parents uh, to get some of them sorted out. But they had been praying and asking God for a sign about whether they should move forward or not, and it wasn't coming quickly. And so they actually ended up investing back in the farm that they were in Uh, thinking that maybe they were supposed to stay. But then that investment wasn't working out either, which caused them to question, are we to go, are we to stay? Well, one morning, as dad was having his devotions, he came across a passage from Numbers uh, that powerfully spoke to him. He felt strongly that it was the confirmation, it was the sign uh, that they had been looking for. He read it to my mom, and they both believed that God was speaking clearly to them. That was the confirmation they were waiting for. Has God ever impressed on you uh, when you're trying to make a decision or trying to make a move? Have you asked him for a sign or confirmation in a similar way? Well, today we're going to read and find out about the story of Gideon, and we're going to look at his story in the book of Judges, chapters 6 through 8. Now, our story takes place at a time in Israel's history where they're at rock bottom, And if you are familiar with the story of the Israelites starting from Genesis on, you will know that they kind of function in a typical cycle. They would worship God and they would be fervent about their worship for God. But then slowly over years, they would kind of forget about God and start to do evil in his sight. They often started worshiping the other gods of the people who lived around them. And then they were humbled They were brought into repentance through some kind of crisis or hardship. So they repented, and they returned to worshiping God again. And they kind of repeated that cycle over and over again. As you read through the Old Testament, that's kind of a typical cycle. I would say that's a human cycle, not just the Israelite people. But today we're going to start in chapter 6 and read the first six verses. It says this, The Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were cruel, so cruel that the Israelites were hiding in places for themselves in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian and Amalek and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying the crops as far as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep Goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes uh, came with their livestock, their tents, and were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So the Israelites were reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Israel was in a really, really bad way. Midian was totally destroying them and their economy. And in the second half of that last verse, it says, Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Then, after all of that, then the Israelites cried out. Well, because the Israelites were doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, he had handed them over to the Midianites. Those seven years were filled with huge hardship. And in one of the commentaries I was reading as I prepared for this message said, This act of God to allow the oppression of Israel was really an act of grace and mercy to them, because if he had not allowed them to be oppressed, they would not have repented and would have stayed in that place of doing evil. Well, that background is important to understand as we meet our main character today named Gideon. Gideon comes along uh, at a time when Israel does not have kings ruling them, but they have judges who are advising and and handing out proclamations. And Gideon is the fourth judge uh, of the Israelites. Now, the story opens where Gideon is at the bottom of a wine press, and he's threshing wheat. That's not a typical place to be threshing wheat, but he was trying to protect his harvest from the Midianites. And so he was down there uh, trying to to do that harvest in secret. Well, the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Now, it's important to note that uh, this reference to the angel of the Lord is actually something called a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus in bodily form before his incarnation as a baby in Bethlehem. And You will notice as we read that instead of using the term angel over the next number of verses, he's actually referred to as the Lord. Well, this caught Gideon by surprise for two reasons. First, he was called a mighty hero. <laughs> Gideon explains that is not true. Here he is hiding to thresh his crops in the wine press. Heroes don't hide, right? He also says, I'm the, I'm from the weakest clan in the tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family, meaning there were older people. His father was still living. He He was not the natural choice. And secondly, he said, Isn't it obvious that the Lord is not with us? Because here we are being oppressed by the Midianites. Gideon had heard of his ancestors, the Israelites, from years earlier who had been in slavery in Egypt for 430 years and how God had had saved them. But now here they were in the same kind of position and he just felt like God had abandoned them. But it's not hard to blame them, blame him for that kind of a response. It's probably how we would feel as well. Well, let's keep reading on in the passage, starting at verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. I I love how the Lord sets out to give Gideon courage and confidence with those two powerful statements. And throughout the story today, you're going to see how gracious God was towards Gideon as he struggles with his call to rescue Israel. Well, first God said to him through the angel of the Lord, which is Jesus, first, I am sending you. There's no doubt who's asking. It is God. He is sending Gideon. And second, he promises, I will be with you. You're not going to have to rescue Israel alone. This is not going to be your own strength. Now you would think, That if Jesus came in bodily form and asked you or me to complete a mission or to do a task, we'd be absolutely no questions asked, right? I mean, I often say that if God would tell me something in an audible voice, I would know for sure that it was true. But I'm pretty sure that I would be just like Gideon. I would have questions, especially if I didn't like the task or the mission that God was calling me to. So, Gideon asks for a sign in verse 17. Show me a sign that it's really you speaking to me. And I love that God uh, graciously waits for Gideon to prepare that sign. He's willing to show Gideon the sign. Well, we're going to read in verse 19 about the creation of that confirmation. Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat and a basket, uh, with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying that meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. The angel of God said to him, place the meat and the unleavened bread on this rock and pour the broth over it. And Gideon did as he was told. Then the angel of the Lord touched the meat and bread with the tip of his staff in his hand and fire flamed up from the rock and consumed all that he had brought and then the angel of the Lord disappeared. Now you might be saying, wow, that's amazing, right? Uh, Gideon had a face-to-face conversation. It was audible. He could see the angel of the Lord. He could see the Lord in front of him, and now he's got this amazing sign. He is obviously ready, right, to go out and rescue his people. (laughs) Well, the next part of the story Gideon is sent on uh, kind of an initial mission. I wonder if it's kind of like a pre-mission. That's kind of a smaller scale. God asks him to go into town and tear down his own father's altar to Baal and the Asherah pool in the community that he was from. His community was worshiping many other gods, right? At the beginning of the chapter, we heard that they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. So that night, Gideon takes 10 servants and they tear down that altar and then they sacrifice two, two sacrifices to God on the altar that he had built. Well, the next morning, the townspeople see what has happened, and they are furious. And they say, whoever did this is going to have to pay. We're going to kill whoever did this. Well, they find out it's Gideon, and they go up to his home, and there is his dad, Joash. And Joash defends his son this is so interesting because his dad had built that altar. But he defends his son and wisely says this. Well, if, if Baal is the god and he's really angry about this, then let's let Baal defend himself. You know, if, if Baal is, is ready to kill the person who did it, let's, let's let Baal do that. And the townsmen were satisfied and they left. Well, this event surely gave Gideon more confidence, right? In the call that God had given him. The Midian army formed an alliance with the Amalekites and the people of the east to cross the Jordan River, and they are ready to attack. Verse 34 has this, like, in the midst of the Midianites gathering their army and Gideon gathering his army is this tiny little verse, verse 34. It says this, The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. It's so interesting That came after Gideon's act of obedience. Gideon took a step right with his pre-mission. He followed God's instructions. And Gideon has now become clothed with power from the Holy Spirit. Well, then Gideon starts to form his army. And he blows the ram's horn. He calls his army men from the clan of Ebizer, warriors from the tribes of Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali. So Gideon now has had let's count it, an in-person conversation with the Lord. He has a sign from the Lord where fire actually comes out of the rock and consumes his sacrifice. He has successfully accomplished his first mission with God. And the spirit of the Lord is clothing him. He's called an army. He had 32,000 men respond. So you might be thinking, This guy must be ready. Gideon must be ready to go, right? He's heard powerfully from God in four different ways. This is obviously confirmed to Gideon, his call. So no questions needed, right? Well, Gideon is just such a normal guy, like I anticipate you would be, and I surely think that I would be the same. He just wants to be just really extra sure that God is calling him to this task of rescuing Israel. And he wants to be sure that God is going to be with him. So we're going to read down a little bit further in the chapter, starting at verse 36. It says this. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me in this way. I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. If the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you have promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon woke up early the next morning, he squeezed out the fleece and wrung out a whole bowl full of water. And then Gideon says to God, Please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. If you're counting, this would be the sixth confirmation. Let me use the fleece for one more test this time let the fleece remain dry while the ground all around be wet with dew. So that night God did as Gideon had asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered in dew. How amazing are all these signs that God shows Gideon? I just, I love to see this, this beautifully gracious side of God showing Gideon that he's going to be with him. Yes, this is the call. I am with you. We can do this. And I'm sure that gave Gideon uh, great courage and strength. And he was sure going to need it as the story carries on. So Gideon is full of all these confirmations. He's ready to lead his army of 32,000 men, and they go to the spring of Herod, which is uh, on top of a hilly area. And interestingly, at that spring, they could see the Midian army in the valley below which is estimated to have been at 135,000 people. So 135,000 men, Gideon has 32,000. Once again, uh, once, God, once they, they're there together, God tells him that he has too many men. Too many men to fight 135,000. I can't even imagine <laughs> hearing that. Well, in chapter seven, verse two says this. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many warriors with you. If I let all of you fight the Midianites, the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. So 22,000 of them went home, leaving only 10,000 who were willing to fight. Can you imagine there's 135,000 men down below in the valley, and they can see them. And God says, no, 32,000 is, is too many. If you're afraid, you can, you can just go home. And so now we're left, Gideon is left with 10,000 men, a third of what he had started with, which was already way less. They were so outnumbered. But the Lord again said to Gideon in verse four, "They're still too many. Bring them down to the spring." And I will test them to determine who will go with you and who will not. This is an interesting test. Verse 5 says this. When Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord said, Divide the men into two groups. In one group, put all of those who cup the water with their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. In the other group, put all those who kneel down and drink with their mouths in the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All the others had gotten down on their knees and drank with their mouths from the stream. And so the Lord said to Gideon, with these 300 men, I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and the ram horns of the other uh, warriors and sent them home. That he kept the 300 men with him. Isn't that wild? I mean, it's amazing that Gideon doesn't even question God in these in passages. And he had been a person that questioned. God said, you have too many, and he gets down to 10,000. Gideon doesn't say, are you kidding me? This is way too small. He does not question God at this point. He's had all these confirmations that what he is to do is to rescue Israel. And if God's confirmations... Um, not if, it was God's confirmations that allowed Gideon to be confident in a situation that is humanly impossible. And isn't that just the way that God often works? We're so ready to go with what seems to be a perfectly understandable plan that we probably created, like Gideon with 32,000 men. It seems humanly understandable, right? But God wants us, wants to show us his power He wants to blow our minds with something that we couldn't even consider as an option. And for Israel, God was showing them his power to save them, just like he had for their ancestors, bringing them out of Egypt. It would be so clear that God was saving them. They were not saving themselves. And that was so important. It was a huge part of their repentance, drawing them back to God realizing that God was the one doing the work. Well, God provides one more confirmation to Gideon, which is wild. And this time, Gideon hasn't asked for it, but God generously gives him one. He tells Gideon to go. He tells Gideon that they will be victorious. But just in case, if you're still afraid, take your servant, Pura, and go and listen to what the Midianites are saying. So they creep up on the Midianite camp, and they hear a Midian man telling another man, about a dream he had just had. He said there was this loaf of bread that had rolled down into their camp, and it hit a tent and it completely knocked the tent over. The other Midian man said, your dream can only mean one thing. God has given Gideon victory over Midian and his allies. God used one of Gideon's enemies to confirm God's goodness to him. As soon as Gideon hears this, he bows down and worships God, and then he runs back to the camp to tell his men, God has given us the victory. We are going to be victorious. The battle against the Midianites and their allies is the oddest of its kind. Once again, proving to the Israelite people, this was not them saving themselves, but it was God, completely God. Gideon takes his 300 men He splits them up into groups of a 100, and they spread out surrounding the Midianites. And then on Gideon's signal, they were to do this. They were to blow their ram horns. They were to smash their jars, which were covering a torch. And they were to shout, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. A fairly typical, uh, I mean, uh, not a fairly typical uh, battle strategy. But God directs each decision for Gideon, knowing that this is the best way to show Israel that he was winning the battle for them. So the Midianites wake up and they're in a panic as they hear all this shouting and these ram horns blowing. And as they look up, look out of their tents and look around, they are seemingly surrounded by all of these torches. The Lord caused them to fight against each other. And those who weren't killed by each other fled on foot and uh, they were captured and killed. Their leaders, Oreb and Zeb, were also captured and killed. And the story carries on into chapter 8. But for time's sake, I want to stop there and reflect for a minute. Gideon has always been one of my favorite Old Testament characters. He's so relatable. I just love that he needed so many assurances because I feel like I often need so many confirmations from God. I'm the same. I fear I might misunderstand God. Is it really God that I just heard that from? I fear I might make the wrong decision because I I want to know for certain that what I'm hearing is from God. I've learned from my parents and from the story of Gideon that asking God for confirmations isn't testing God but that God graciously works with our humanity. He knows who we are, he knows what we're like, and he provides us with courage and confidence as we seek to follow his guiding. Now I'm guessing that God hasn't asked any of you to rescue a nation like Gideon, but I am sure that God is speaking to you, asking you maybe to step out in faith in a variety of ways. Maybe you have a big decision you're facing right now. Maybe a change in job, like my parents were um, trying to sort through, a change in in job and in home. Maybe a change in relationship. Have you asked God for a confirmation or a sign of what you're sensing from Him to confirm that? Have you put out a fleece um, of your own? God wants to guide you and direct you as you seek to trust Him. I love the well-known passage from Proverbs chapter 3. It reminds us of this very truth. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I want to pray for you this morning that whether you're sensing a change and a call from God or whether you're really just sorting out, looking for a sign that that God would speak to you so clearly this week or in the next days to come, the next weeks to come, that God would speak to you or your family, your spouse, someone in your life that can come and provide a confirmation along with what you're hearing from God. Let's pray together. God, thank you for the story of Gideon. Thank you that you were so patient with him. You were so kind and gracious to him as he struggled with this huge task that you called him to. I'm so grateful that you are just as kind and gracious to us, that you want to provide us with courage and confidence to step out in faith, to make decisions that need to be made, to follow your, your, your nudging in our life. And Lord, maybe this is a huge decision that someone is uh, facing this week of of a change of job and, and maybe a change of physical location for their whole family or maybe a change in relationship. God, I pray that you would speak to each one listening, that each one as they are seeking to trust you, they're seeking to go your way, they're seeking to follow your path, just like Gideon was, that you would confirm to them, you would bring someone into their life to confirm that this is, this is what you have for them. This is what you want for them. And would you just make it so abundantly clear? God, thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing your nature to us uh, through these kinds of stories. And I just pray that as we follow your guidance, as we follow your, your confirmations, your signs, that you would be honored and glorified by the decisions that we make, by the words that come out of our mouths, and by the moves that we make as we follow you. We pray all of these things in your name. Amen.